Here I am. Let me just pray one more time before we move on. Lord, it's so good just to be able to stand knowing we're in your presence because of your son's mighty work. Allowed into the courts of the king because, what is, because of what his son has done for us. And we can stand there in silence knowing we're at peace with you. Knowing we're secure in you. Knowing we're loved by you. You are such a good God. Lord, we thank you. And as we seek to hear more from you through your word in a minute, as we seek to learn from you, and to seek to know what it means to live a life for you, and the practicalities of that, Lord, may we continue to honour you in all we do, because you're worth it, and more. Great, good God. We love you. Thank you, Father. Amen. As you're probably aware, I'm sure you all are, we're going through our Vision and Values series at the moment. This is what we as Beacon Leadership stand for in terms of what we believe God has put on our hearts for us as Beacon within our town of Herne Bay, within Kent and beyond. And also the values that we believe the Bible is very firm on, the things we're not going to let go of. There are plenty of things we can agree to disagree on, that's fine. But in here are the things we feel very strongly are what the Bible has to say on God's blueprint for us as his people for living his life. And we're the penultimate one, the final one will be next week that John will take. Uh, this week is on stewardship. And, uh, and we're looking at kind of three aspects of what the word stewardship really means, focusing on one more than the other, one of the others. But um, have you ever tried to top up how much we, owe betwe- we own between us? What number would it come to? How much our properties and our savings accounts? Savings? I remember them. Not a lot. How much do you reckon it goes? You can top up how much we own between us. How much between us? Four or five million. That's just that's four or five million from Julian. How much has everyone else got? Oh, between us. Sorry, right, okay. Ultimately, it's a bit of a trick. <laughs> just your yeah, joint account. That's all right. Ultimately, of course, it's a bit of a trick question. We don't own anything, do we? We own nothing. Everything, every single thing in this life is on loan from God. But the trouble is we can get sucked into that kind of thinking sometimes, can't we? Remember Derek a couple of weeks ago, he was telling the story of someone who'd passed on, someone had passed away, and someone else was asking, how much did they leave? All of it. That's the point, isn't it? We can get sucked into this. It's the trouble. It's the way... It's the, it's the way Everybody else in the world thinks without a perspective from God's point of view. I own this and I need to earn more to be secure in this and so on. It's an easy trap, but we can have anxiety about paying bills. We can have anxiety about having enough material goods or wanting the next gadget or the next house. But actually, it's not just about stuff. It's resources in general. We can get sucked into either overly worrying about green issues around the world, environmental issues, or being completely apathetic and thinking it's nothing to do with us whatsoever. We can be tired from doing too much, or we can be quite content to do as little as possible. This is all comes under the banner of stewardship. Stewardship, ultimately, the definition of what it means to be a steward, stewardship. Stewardship means this. 
It means managing another's property or affairs on the other's behalf. So you can have a steward. Back in the days, you could have stewards that were like kings, and they were on behalf of the king running a land. And the same thing. God gives us resources to steward on his behalf. How we steward them boils down to worship. Stewardship is worship. We are hearing just now from David and Julia about giving worth to God. Worship is worth-ship. That's where the word comes from. It means giving worth to something, be it to stuff, to other people, or to God. Giving worth, <coughs> where you invest your time, your money, and so on, your resources. And if God, if Psalm 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and God has given us everything to look after as mankind... If he's given us everything to steward, everything is on loan from the giver of all. So how we steward that is worship. How do we give the stuff the worth? Do we worship the stuff? Or do we worship the giver and steward it in a way that honours him? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Do I give worth to my house? Or do I give worth to God by how I use my house? Or my car, or my money, or my time? True stewardship acknowledges the ultimate giver. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Lexi's going to read it, look. Very advanced. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to the end. Jesus here is principally talking about material goods, about money. But there's a principle here that applies right across the issue of stewardship. Verse 19 from Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on to say, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? We do, don't we? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans are on after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just going back to verse 21, there's that principle. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. That's something I want to look at today. See, Jesus here, he's not saying, give away all your money. There is one time in Luke 14 when he says that to someone, if you're not willing to give up everything to be my disciple, then there's a problem. What he's talking about there is a willingness to give up. He's not saying, give all your money away. He's asking, who or what are you worshipping? Do you want to hold on to that money more tightly than you do to me? Or do you trust me? You can't serve two masters, me or money. But he's not saying if you serve me, you've got to give all your money away. But your attitude to, to it should be that if he asks you to, you're willing to because you trust him. It's a big difference. Even Paul, when he writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says, command the rich not to put their hope in their money. He doesn't say give it away. Tell them to give it all their money away. He says, command the rich not to put their hope in their money, but to put their hope in God. It's a difference. He's not saying give all your money away, although we might do. What he's saying is, trust me, put your hope in me, and you'll have a very different perspective on your money in the first place. Money is not the root of all evil. What is? The love of money. Big difference. We're already talking about money, aren't we? Let's look at a couple of things first before we come on to money. It always comes around to money so quick, doesn't it? We'll find out later why, I guess. I've divided today into three sections, just as we've done in our Vision and Values booklet. We're looking at wallet, how we worship with our wallets, the money thing. We look at how we worship with our watches, time is a resource. And we look at how we worship with the world around us as well. There's a resource in the globe itself, and the earth itself. So I'll swatch around the order a little bit this morning. We'll save money for later. Yay. You don't have to fidget quite so much. Don't have to squirm. Do that later. Let's look at watches first. I'll look at watch, then I'll look at world, just briefly. And then we'll look at wallet and why Jesus focused on that. So our watches. How do we worship with our watches? Time is a resource. The amount of times I'm thinking I could do with an extra day in the week and an extra hour in the day, that's all I'm asking for. But that'd be great, that'd be wonderful. There's not enough time in the day, is something we say, isn't it? God knows best, strangely enough. Every day, every hour is an opportunity to serve him and to seek out his purposes for us and for others around us in that time allotted. He knows how much time we need to do everything he's asked for us. He's not a spiteful God. He's given us enough. We just need to know how to steward it. Money, uh, money, here we go. See, it's on my head. Time, we can invest it or we can waste it. But you can't just turn it off. It's not like money you can save up for a rainy day. There's a film out of the cinemas at the moment called In Time, set in the future, where time is a resource, literally time is money and everybody dies at 25 unless they can find a way of big, big stealing or borrowing more time so they can live longer and the rich get to live forever and it's, it's a literal, you can save some more for later we can't do that can we either you use it or you lose it it's ticking by all the time, even now, it's ticking away and God's intention for us as his people is to use it wisely He wants us to work hard. Working hard is a good Christian principle that honours God. He's got things for us to do. But built into that, God wants us to rest wisely as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, 
Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He says, don't waste your time. Don't be workaholics and bumming away either, but be wise how you use your time. Working hard is appropriate, but also within reason. Even God himself rested. He led by example, right at the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, which just means beginning, the very first chapter there, you see, after he created the earth in six days on the seventh day, which later became referred to as the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest, God rested. Not because he was worn out, he's God. But so he could enjoy all that he'd made. If we don't rest, we don't get to appreciate a proper perspective on life and get to appreciate what God has done for us, get to appreciate and enjoy what we've done through what God's given us to use. God takes this very seriously, rest, actually. In Leviticus, there's another book right near the beginning of the Bible, just when God's nation of Israel are really kind of finding their way towards the promised land and he's providing them a mandate of how to live in a way that sets them apart for him and actually is a wise way of living. He introduces the principle of rest. And within that, Leviticus chapter 26, he effectively says to them, if you don't use my Sabbath principle for yourselves and for the land that I've given you, if you don't let that land rest, but you just keep working it and working it and working it, so you're trying to get more stuff for yourself to grow more things, to make more money so you can be secure in the money and forget about the fact that you can trust me in that, if you don't even let the land rest, I'm going to chuck you out of that land and let it get its rest it needs. He takes it that seriously. And yet conversely, Isaiah chapter 58, hundreds of years later, through the prophet Isaiah, God effectively says, delight in my blueprints for life, including rest, and you won't believe how blessed you'll be. God takes rest very seriously. Amy, we have this battle at night. She's one of these kids who doesn't like to sleep because she's missing out. I'm trying to wrestle her into bed, slam dunk her into that bed sometimes. She's a nightmare. She's better at some evenings more than others, but it's just trying to get across to her, darling, we're not doing this just to get you out of our sight so we can watch the latest DVD. Might be a little bit of that. But it's just like, darling, it's getting late. You are tired. You're falling over every half a dozen steps and you're rubbing your eyes and you're snapping back at us because you're tired. Just trust that we know better than you do and that if you go to sleep now, You'll be more rested in the morning. You'll be in a bright mood, full of energy for the day for playing with your friends and learning at school. Just trust us. Yeah, but I've got this to do and I've got that to colour in and I want to listen to this seed. Just, hello, just listen. (laughs) She's one of those kids. But she just needs to understand we know what's best for her. So when we're telling her to rest, she just needs to trust us. And it's the same thing for us. Yeah, but... I need that extra day, I need to do it, work days overtime to pay the bills and I need to do this. And, and straight away you're getting caught up into stuff again without realising there, there are other ways of trusting God, including a day off. Not even waste a day off, but a day of rest, whatever that might mean. Sabbath, Sabbath rest. Workaholism is a big problem today, of course it is, when it always has been. But in the climate we're currently in, it is hard to pay the bills, I appreciate that. We find it hard as well. It's fuelled by an anxiety to pay those bills or to amass savings, if possible, in an uncertain world. But that can be fuelled by a love of money or, tied in with that, a fear of losing it. And unless undergirding that, you have actually 
I trust my God and he will provide for me as he promised in his word. We just get more and more fueled by that and we get caught up and sucked into the way of the world. So we're in a consumerist society, aren't we? Where technology has advanced so much, it's easy to create more than we can buy. And so marketing is engineered to make us buy what we don't need. Stuff is made to not last very long. So we buy the next thing, unless you're in a pampered chef. 20 years, is it? So besides pampered chef, everything else is made to be thrown away. But that's the world we're in. And we can get sucked into this. I need, I need this phone, but I'm already planning when in two years' time I'll get that one. Well, about to see how long it lasts first. But we can get sucked into a certain way of thinking. But there's another problem. Workaholism is a problem. Fighting to get enough money to pay the bills is a problem when you get sucked into that and forget to trust God. But the other end of the, of the extreme is laziness. That is a problem as well. I'm resting. You can do that too much as well. Laziness shows the true state of your heart where you're not interested in honouring God with the time he's given you. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. If I took a look at your diary or your calendar, what would it tell me about you? If I take a look at mine, what would it tell me about me? Where your treasure is, there's your heart. God himself is outside of time. To him, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years, and so on. But when he was here on earth in the form of his son, Jesus, he, was, he wisely balanced his time in work and rest and play. He modelled it perfectly. He gave himself to the crowds. He worked hard. He travelled and travelled on foot. And when the crowds amassed him and he wanted time to himself, he gave himself to them. He had somewhere to be at a certain time. He was going to heal someone because someone had asked for help. And on the way, somebody else wants help. And he stops and talks to them. He gave himself a heck of a lot. But he also wisely knew when to withdraw to a quiet place, to be with just him and the Father, to pray, to reflect, and or to sleep. God has allotted us so many years on this planet that is revolving around the sun to give us so many months and weeks, so many years. We need to be wise how we use that time how to use what we're given in a way that honours him. True stewardship acknowledges the ultimate giver. That's time. The world. What about the world we live on? Green issues may, in many ways, be fairly unique to current times. Now we're scientifically a bit more enlightened in terms of what's going on. But it's still, it's been a real issue all along, I guess, but... Our technology obviously is creating more problems in the first place. So I'll be watching Frozen Planet, the um, David Attenborough thing. I've only seen a few clips, it looks amazing. The beauty of the polar regions and so on. There's seven episodes in this series. The seventh episode will be all about climate change and how what's what's affected the polar regions that you've been enjoying the beauty of in the previous six episodes. Interestingly, the BBC, in order to be able to sell the series abroad, have had to remove that seventh episode and sell it as a six-episode series because other countries just aren't interested in the climate change problems. See, people are cynical that it's even an issue. Regardless of your considerations, your thoughts on environmental issues, we are doing damage to the planet. That can't be denied. The stuff we're chucking out the back of our cars. 
But there's many, many people who don't even want to listen and think it's not a problem. But God takes this seriously. Right in Genesis chapter 1, like I mentioned earlier, right at the beginning of the Bible, God said in verse 28 to the man and the woman, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, the birds, every living thing that moves on the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue is not talking about exploit, dominate in a bad sense, you know, exploit for evil. He's saying explore it and make useful the resources I've given you on this planet. Use it, but in a way that honours me. It's a big difference. Because the attitude can be, certainly from a Christian point of view, well, it's not really my home, I'm just passing through. I'm heading for heaven. I don't really need to take any of the environmental stuff seriously because I won't be here forever. Well, that's a bad attitude because for starters, we will be here. This is the earth that will get renewed one day. He won't do away with this earth and make a brand new one. The Bible is quite clear. Is this earth renewed again? But even then we can think, well, he's going to renew it anyway, so it doesn't matter if we damage it. It's still not a way that honours him, is it? And even for now, for current generations, the Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets, he once said, we're not inheriting this world from our parents. We're borrowing it from our kids. Don't just, it's not just about us, is it? But to have the attitude that I shouldn't really care about what we do to this planet is a bad attitude because it, it dishonours God. He's given us everything to look after. If we're not looking after it, then there's a problem. It's like Amy. Amy again. We just redecorated her bedroom. Lovely gold wall. It's her request. We spent a lot of time doing it up. Buying new bits for it. We spent hundreds of pounds on it. It looks lovely. But we're saying to her, darling, here's your new bedroom. We're asking you to look after it. Don't trash it, please. It's not bad so far. It's only been a month. But just how she responds to that, if she looks after it, it just demonstrates her heart of gratefulness and understanding of the hard work and the effort and the love that has gone into that bedroom for her. But if she just really doesn't care and just scrapes things up the wall and drawers on the wall and pretty rainbows everywhere and burns a bit by playing, playing with matches or whatever... It just demonstrates her. I hope you won't. It just demonstrates her heart and her response to what us and what we've given out of love, and it's exactly the same as what God's done here. He's given us His planet out of love to look after. Our attitude, our response to that, demonstrates our worship, what we're giving worth to. When well, we're learning, increasingly, we are learning these days. Do you know what the world's most recyclable product is? Cars, actually. The world's most recyclable product that has been produced is our cars. 75% of them can be recycled. We're learning. Alfa Romeo apparently are introducing one that's 100% recyclable. All parts can be reused. So we're getting there, but we're still not there, and we've all got a part to play. Jenny and I, the amount of recycling bags outside the front of our house compared to all our neighbours, we've got twice as many. Either we're doing it very right or very wrong. I'm not quite sure. But we're trying. We're tr- we have got a small part to play. You can buy the green Bible now. If you want a cheap Bible, 75p. Recyclable paper, environmentally friendly ink, and every verse that has anything to do with stewarding the world is in green. It's a bit, it's a bit of a gimmick. <laughs> Clever, eh? Do you know, see what they did there? 
But to be honest, I, I just like having a Bible in every room. So for 75p, there's always one at hand. It's quite good. But well, that might be a bit of a gimmick, but the principle remains. God is quite serious about how we look after his planet. These are resources that he's given us to steward. And we can all play our part in whatever small way. I'll leave that up to you to discuss and sell during the week. But the world we're currently in is broken. Isn't it? There's tsunamis and there's plagues. There's droughts and so on. And we can even play a part in A, preventing or curing what we've damaged, avoiding landfill and recycling, things like that, contributing to research, whatever it might be. There's lots of little ways we can do it. We're not all called to be the great big boffin who comes up with the answer. But in terms of people's lives are affected around the world by it being broken, famines and so on, we can play a part there. We in the UK, we're in the top 5% of wealthy nations. Our tiny little island. We're 13th out of 257 or something at the moment. We're doing quite well for ourselves. We can play a part, can't we? Which brings me to wallet. That was the world. Wallet, finally. How do we worship with our wallets? The one person to speak about hell more than anyone else in the Bible was Jesus. And yet he spoke about money more than he did about hell. It's more serious than we realise. He talked about taxes, he talked about generosity, he talked about trusting God for resources. He talked about it a lot. He spoke far more about that than he did about green issues, about how we use our time. He kept talking about money. Why? Because he knows what kind of a grip it has on us, even, especially when we don't realise it. Even Times in the Bible... People come up to him and he points out to them the issue. It's all about money. Rich young ruler. Went scuffling away, didn't he? It can have a great grip on us. When there's nations, let alone individuals these days, caught in the spiral of debt, Greece and Italy and Ireland and so on, the US, us to a degree, when nations caught in a spiral of debt there's something there's a clear indicator of humanity's sin at large isn't there Martin Luther put his finger on this he said there are three conversions necessary the conversion of the heart and of the mind and of the purse we grip onto this don't we it's my money I've only got so much. Luther said there are three conversions necessary, the conversion of the heart, the mind and the purse. Because there is something inherently deep at stake when it comes down to money, or the love of it. Even John the Baptist, Luke chapter 3, he is asked three times what must we do in response to his call to repent. What must we do? And every single time he talks about stuff and money. The crowd's asking, what must we do? And he says, share your things. And the tax collectors, what must we do? Collect no more than you're supposed to. And even the soldiers ask him, what must we do? And he goes, don't extort, be content with your wages. Every time it's about stuff and money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. (coughs) How much we give shows exactly the state of our hearts. It's not so much the numbers. A millionaire can give £10,000 just like that. Uh, Jesse J, 
Radio 1 on Friday, she was in the studio, and it's Children in Need, wasn't it? And they had 97,000, they were going for 100,000 by a certain time. She goes, I'll give you the other three, which is lovely, great. She's able to do that. I can't just give 3,000 to top something up to 100. But she's able to, out of her wealth. It's not so much the number you're giving, it's out of what you're giving. Big difference. Even Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, he actually says, I want to test the sincerity of your love. I want, to t- I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. How much you give will show me where your heart's at in the first place. It's not just numbers. But how best to practice this? Do we just give our way, give away our money willy-nilly? Do we just give it all away? Nothing wrong with that. Great. But we can be wise how we do that as well. Stewardship involves wisdom, doesn't it? God introduced, in the early days of his people, he introduced the principle of what's called tithing, which is giving the first 10% of all you earn, all your income, all your things. Giving 10%. He introduced tithing and introduced generosity as well. He introduced hospitality and principles around that and the system of jubilee, which is a system for clearing debt and ensuring, maintaining a just society. Tithing and generosity. Two ways of giving. The tithing was to support the current system of worship. They had the temple to upkeep. They had the priests pay their wages, look after their families and so on, somewhere to live. And tithing paid into that, into the system of worship. And the generosity side of things, hospitality and and the jubilee system, the clearing debt system and giving to the poor from the edge of your field and this sort of thing, it was looking after the poor and oppressed. And there's one thing the Bible was clear on. If we're not looking after the poor and oppressed... Our grasp of the gospel is wildly awry. And today, the same principles apply. Tithing and generosity. It's exactly the same. Tithing, giving into the local church, because that's our system of worship, if you like. We have bills to pay. We've got wages to pay, we've got to look after the building. And also, we've got a mission afoot in this town and beyond, and we want to pay in towards that. That doesn't happen on zero budget. And if we want to do it well and do it excellently because it honours God... It costs a little bit more than that. That's why we tithe. 10%, giving into the local church. But also in terms of generosity, on top of that, looking after those that struggle to find their way sometimes for various reasons. The poor in this town or the people that have less than us. It's sharing what we have. It doesn't even have to be money sometimes. Sharing our houses and so on. Both in the church and out the church as well. And I know we've got testimony of that has been happening. It's brilliant. Keep it up. It's fantastic. And so the principle, the heart behind tithing still remains today. It's a means of putting God first out of reverence of what he's given us. 10% was a legal guideline back then. In those days, God set up the law and it's easy to have rules for people to follow. But today, this is about the heart, about where our heart's at in the first place. We're not bound by those ancient rules. But we are indebted to him for releasing us from our sin and our selfishness, the huge great debt we owed him. We can't pay him back for what he's done and we should never think we can. We can't earn back what he's paid us, pay him back. That's not not the point. But if we don't sense that gratitude and that trust, then how deep is the gospel pervaded, really? The good news of what Jesus has done for us. 10% of our income... 
to give to the growth and health of the church is still a good guideline, but it should not be out of number-crunching duty. If you're asking, well, is it 10% of my income before tax or after tax? Or you're kind of missing the point. Or if you're totting up your bills and seeing how much you've got left to give to God, you're missing the point. It's about trusting the ultimate giver. We are under free grace to give what we want to. To be honest, this is a personal thing, I'd rather err on way more than 10% because if that's what they were required to do in the Old Testament days, I've got so much more in Christ. I'm going to trust him. And I don't want to be bound by a strict rule and 10% and I'll stop there. I want that to be a starting point. We're under grace, not under law today. Free favour of Christ the King. That's a personal thing and we're all free to make up our own minds. It's between you and God. But question where your heart is when you give and how you give. Don't tot up your bills first and see what you've got left for him. Do it the other way around. Seriously. Jenny and I, we didn't used to tithe. And there came a point, there was one week when I was at work on the ambulance station, we had Sky and other God Channel on. There was Clive Pick, Mr. Christian Finance Man, was talking about tithing and the principles behind it and actually why and how it works and brought it just back down to a question of faith. Do you trust God or don't you? What do you really believe? And then somewhere else I was reading a book and the subject came up again. I heard something on Premier Radio driving home, I think it was. I come home and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to talk to Jenny about this. And she goes, I was watching God Channel today. Guess what God's talking to me about? It's like, oh, me too. We realised God was actually making it very clear. He's just saying, trust me. Just trust me. In Malachi chapter 3, God says to his people, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. See, it's paying for the system of worship. Test me in this. He says, dare me, double dare me. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. He's saying, dare me, how much do you trust me? When you give, I'll look after you. Believe me. We don't give to get more. We give because he's God. But he will always look after his children. Every single time. Give and steward what you've got left. Jenny and I, when we totted up our figures first, we did not have enough to tithe. So what did we do? We tithed anyway. And we never got in debt. And we've been blessed richly since then. Gifts out of the blue and balances not adding up strangely. God's maths are better than ours. They're weirder, but they work. He will always look after you. Putting God first. Tithing first. Not because it's a duty, but just because we want to. And it's an act of faith. An act of faith is not seeing how much you've got left and then giving to God because it's an act of faith. An act of faith is giving to God and trusting him that what's left will go around. Trying to keep up with the world around you is an easy thing these days. Marketing's pummeling from side to side. Trying to keep up the same lifestyle as the Joneses or anyone else of any other surname. Giving to God should actually affect that, to be honest. It should pinch or hamper us. Giving shouldn't necessarily be easy. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say it is too small. Because it is a sacrifice, but it is an act of trust. Our good father. 
tithing and in generosity on top. When the need arises, you just give to it, knowing these are resources God's given me. I'm going to pass it on in a good way, knowing that he's going to look after me and I'm not going to struggle to have a roof over my head. He'll look after me for whatever way. True stewardship acknowledges the ultimate giver. Who's the ultimate giver? God the Father. We've already heard Psalm 24. Everything, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's already given us all this around us to play with in a way that honours him. But he went further than that. For God so loved this world, what did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gave of himself. Before creation, there was the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit in perfect, loving, joyous community. And God gave of that. Gave his Son. And it gets better than that. The Father did not just give the Son. The Son gave himself. If you ever question, was Jesus sent to the cross or did he choose to go there? The answer is yes. It was an agreement. Jesus didn't do it begrudgingly or unwillingly. He volunteered. The rescue plan was agreed all along out of love. Christ gave himself for us. The biggest gift you could ever have. Perfect God who sustains the universe. When he was a baby, he was sustaining the universe at the same time. This is God. Gave himself for you. The ultimate giver. Someone once said, you can have all the money in the world and still be too broke to pay the penalty for your sins. You need a saviour. Without him, you're in a world of spiritual debt. You take the debt of Greece, of Italy, Spain, Portugal, Ireland and the US. Dump them on your head. And your debt is bigger than that to God. He is a perfect, glorious, beautiful, good God. Totally perfect. And anything that resents that, despises that, or thinks we know better is a million miles away. The debt is too big. No matter where you stand or what you've done in your life, the debt is too big over your head without him. But he paid that debt by giving himself. He paid that debt. He sets us free. And then he adopts us as his children. In the royal family, with all his wealth and all his treasures in heaven and eternal security. What a difference. He gave himself. How can I hold such a tight grip on stuff, on my money, on my time, on my house, when it's all lent by him anyway for such a small window? How can I do that? Do you remember John de Robeck last year? He came and preached on Abraham. He talks about Abraham having a light grip on things. Do you remember that? Do you have a tight grip on stuff, on your resources, on your money, on your time, or do you have a light grip, always willing to just offer it up for him? True stewardship acknowledges the ultimate giver. He has not given us the horror we deserve as sinners. 
But he has given us the beautiful, abundant treasures of eternal life by his death on the cross that we deserve to pay and by rising again in victory once and for all. He gives us freedom from sin and he gives us the remarkable resources on this earth to use in such a way that glorifies him and puts him first. I want to keep a light grip on stuff, knowing that Christ has a tight grip on me. Let's just pray. Lord, you are the ultimate giver. You have given us all good things. And we are so grateful. And we acknowledge that once more. We say, all things in this life are on loan. And we're grateful that you give them to us to use for your glory. Knowing that it will still benefit us. We'd never lose out. But we're trusting you as a good father because you know best. Lord, as we reflect on our finances, on our properties, on the time we have and the world around us as well, how we, how we bear an attitude to that as well, Lord. We just say, may we keep a light grip on all these things, willing to give them away for the advancement of your kingdom, to show that you're best, in trust of you, because you've done so much for us in the first place. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You gave the ultimate gift. You gave yourself. You gave your life on that cross that we might not die, we might not be separated from the Father forever, but we might live forever with you, with him, in glory. Secure, eternal peace, free from sin and shame and sickness and disease and death, always looked after by you because you're a good father. Lord, help us to keep a light grip on things knowing that you have a tight grip on us. Help us to trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to ask any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, please don't hesitate to ask. If not, please stay for drinks because he gets to know you more if I don't know you already. Thank you, guys.